You're listening to a 1FM podcast. Hey, it's that time of the week again. Here with Steve. How's it going, Steve? Yeah, good, mate. Yes, having a nice, quiet, relaxing day here over at Norfolk, doing a bit of child-minding and perhaps watching Nick Kyrgios probably lose. I, I, the last time I uh, saw he was down a break in the fifth set, so he's probably lost by now. But anyway, so be it. Oh, yeah, that US Open, I've got to start watching it. It's sort of getting away, and I haven't really watched much of it. But anyway, how's it going? You have a good week? Yeah, good week. Yeah, enjoyed the footy finals. I thought uh, all the games were very, very good. Didn't know the results until about the last minute or two, and a couple of them. I don't have any particular... Well, I do have some particular preferences, but I'm not, certainly not going to go on air and offend anybody at this point of time. Thank you. Yeah, I think we've all got our preferences, but I told you which one would struggle to beat Wisbon, and it happened, so... Yeah, that's Right. But I I didn't expect Sydney to beat Melbourne, but there you go. No, well that was a, that was a bit of a surprise. But my wife's eldest son, a Swan supporter, so he was very pleased. I can assure you. Yeah, yeah, they're going well. Sydney completely flying under the radar too. <laughs> I think. I, I think you. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think the chances are they'll make the granny, and people are like, oh, suddenly start noticing them. But anyway, yeah, it's a bit late then. But uh, who are we talking about today? Well, it's funny that you mentioned those two words there, chances are, because this particular gentleman <laughs> had a song of that name, made it quite famous quite a while ago. Johnny Mathis is the uh, gentleman concerned. Ah, uh, yeah, Johnny Mathis, sort of crooner, isn't he? Yeah, 50s? very much a crooner, yeah, very much so. He comes out at yeah. Christmas time as well, I think, with a few songs, doesn't he? Or Yeah, well, perhaps not so much these days. He'll be 87 in a couple of weeks, so I'm not sure whether he makes too many appearances these days, but by gee, back to mid to late 50s and part of the 60s, he was very, very big. Yeah, well, I definitely know his name, and I expect I'm going to learn a lot more about him now. Okay, so here we go. Born in a place called Gilmer, G-I-L-M-E-R, Texas, on the 30th of September, 1935. Now, he was the middle child of seven, born to Father Clem and Mother Mildred who were both domestic cooks and they were of Afro-American and Native American heritage. Now, the family moved to the Richmond district of San Francisco and his father, who was a singer and a pianist who had worked in vaudeville, recognising his son's talent, he actually bought him a piano and encouraged him to learning that. Now, he began to learn songs and routines from his father and would sing and dance for visitors at home, school and church functions, so he got a, a pretty good genetic start at least. Now, when he was 13, a voice teacher whose name was Connie Cock accepted him as a student in exchange for work round the house. And he studied with her for six years, learning vocal scales and, and exercises, voice production and classical and operatic singing. So he first sang in a band which was formed by a high school friend by the name of Merle Saunders. But one of the other things that I didn't know about this until I started looking into John's history, that he was a star athlete at George Washington High School in San Francisco, being a high jumper, hurdler and playing on the basketball team. Now, he enrolled at San Francisco State College in 1954 on an athletic scholarship with the view to becoming an English and physical education teacher. Now, he set a high jump record, which was just seven centimetres short of the 1952 Olympic record. He actually was referred to, at some stage in one of the papers, as the best all-round athlete to come out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Wow. But the interesting thing here is, though, because he had the conflict, in 1956 he was asked to actually try out for the US Olympic team. But his father advised him to pursue a professional singing career, which he then decided to do. 
Now, he previously came into the attention of a woman by the name of Helen Noga, N-O-G-A, who was a co-founder of the Black Hawk Club in San Francisco, who had heard him singing there one Sunday afternoon. She ended up becoming his manager and contacted a fellow by the name of George Avakian, A-V-A-K-I-A-N, I'm I'm not sure out of pronunciation. This fellow was the head of a branch of Columbia Records, who, after hearing him sing sent the record company a telegram stating, I quote, have found a phenomenal 19-year-old who could go all the way. Very prophetic words, I must say. Now, his first two albums, which were released in 1956 and 57, helped define his style, which Mitch Miller, who used to have a TV show, which we, we in Australia received, he was a conductor and a record producer, and he encouraged Mathis to sing soft romantic ballads. And I think that that's certainly very true of him when you hear the selection of the songs that I've made later on. In 1956, his first single, Wonderful, Wonderful, finished a 14th on the Billboard chart and 12 in the Cashbox chart. There were two different charts back at that stage, both in America. And then another song called It's Not For Me To Say, which was five on Billboard and, and two on Cashbox. Now, these were his first two recordings. Now, the second one, It's Not For Me To Say, featured in a 1957 movie, which was called Lizzie. And that starred Eleanor Parker, Richard Boone, who I might point out was Paladin, who I've mentioned to you before, Josh, and Joan Blondell. Now, he appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, which seems to be the precursor for a lot of people's success, in, in, in 1957 in June. And that enhanced his profile. And later that year, he released two more singles, Chances Are, which was number one, which were number one on Billboard and Cashbox, and The Twelfth of Never, which was a nine and 38, respectively. A song called Wild Is The Wind, which was 22 and 20, respectively, was from a film of the same name, and that starred Anthony Quinn. Now, this particular song got nominated in the Academy Awards for the Best Original Song. It didn't actually win, but Josh, you might know this. Other versions of that song called Wild Is The Wind. One's by Nina Simone and another one by David Bowie, which I am not familiar with. I'm not familiar with that either. I'll have to look that up. Okay, that's fine. I wasn't sure whether you might have heard that one. Now, an album which was released before the Academy Awards was called Johnny's Greatest Hits, which I felt was a bit presumptuous because, oh, well, this is a bit later on. I'm sorry, I apologise. It's actually quite a few years later. This spent, uh, you'll like the statistic, Josh, I think it's fantastic, spent 490 consecutive weeks through to 1967. It was from about 1958, so it was a bit presumptuous. Only had four or five songs in his his greatest hits album. 490 consecutive weeks through to 1967, which was nearly nine and a half years on the Billboard Top 200 albums. Now, this was later superseded by Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. In March 1973, it reached 491 weeks in October 1983. So all records are made to be broken. (laughs) And now, A Certain Smile, which was a movie starring Rosano Brazzi and Joan Fontaine, and was 21 on Billboard and 14 on Cashbox in 1958. This was nominated for the Academy Awards for the Best Original Song. I didn't take notice to whether he actually won it or not. I apologise for that. Mathis also appeared in this particular movie. Now, then we had, 1959, we had Misty, which finished 12th and 14th, respectively, and 1962 is the next one I've got written down here, Gina, which was 6th and 8th. What Will My Mary Say, 9 and 9, and When a Child is Born, which was a 1976 song, 
And that actually finished number one in the UK, but I don't have any record of where it actually finished in America. So there are other ones, but they were his best-known song. I've got a little story about Misty here. Turned out Clint Eastwood, who was a Johnny Mathis fan, decided to use it in, in, in the movie. Play, play Misty with me. me, yeah. A bit now, scary as a radio DJ, that one. Yeah, that's right. I've heard it wasn't supposed to be a box office hit, but it turned out to be a fairly big movie. Actually, the inspiration for the song, the, the fellow who wrote the song was a fellow called Errol Garner. Now, he was actually travelling in a plane, I think it was from Chicago to San Fran, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of actually where he was going to, and he saw this rainbow through a haze and got the inspiration to write the song Misty um, from that particular uh, little event that occurred. Mm. Moving on a little bit, I'll just give you a bit of a discography there, but there are certainly some other songs later on. Now, Mathis lived with the Noga family when they moved to Beverly Hills in 1958. By 1962, Ebony Magazine, interestingly enough at that time, listed Mathis in their top 100 Afro-Americans. Not that you needed to probably do that at that stage, but um, anyway, I see probably a bit higher up than that, I would have thought. Now, he actually split from these people when we had the old counterclaims about financials, but Mathis ended up purchasing a former Howard Hughes mansion in Beverly Hills, which he still has. Quite interesting to purchase something from Howard Hughes. It cost a fair few dollars, I thought, to live in Beverly Hills in a Howard Hughes mansion, so he must have done very well. Now, he established a record company in 1967, which is called John Matt, and they actually produced all his recordings, and Road John Productions handled all his appearances and promotional and charitable activity, just to make sure that everything was above board. Now, he continued to make music, but of course, with the British invasion occurring, moving along to the British style of music, and put his songs out of the charts until a song called Too Much, Too Little, Too Late in 1978. Now, this was number one in the US and three in the UK. This is with a woman called Denise Williams, who I'm not familiar with. And that was his first number one since Chances Are back in 1957. So it was over 20 years later. And now he then proceeded to record with other female artists, including Dionne Warwick and Gladys Knight. And now he's recorded several albums from the 80s onwards. And as a distinction, apart from a four-year hiatus to record with Mercury Records, I've been with Columbia Records for the longest of any recording artist. There's only one of three artists who have had five albums on the billboard simultaneously, which is quite amazing. A fellow by the name of Sinatra and uh, Barry Manilow are the others. I've got here, he has released 200 singles. So you might say that I only touched the tip of the iceberg when I mentioned some of those songs before. And some of his other songs have played in movies, referred to Misty and Play Misty For Me. A chances are it's been played during an extraterrestrial visit. In Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wonderful, Wonderful was in a Desperate Housewives episode, Mad Mad episodes, and in Call the Midwife episode. It was actually it was actually in a episode of the X Files. I haven't seen much X Files, but um, I've heard this episode home. I've watched this one because it was called one of the scariest episodes of all time. Oh, it's about some killers, and they use it when something violent's happening. They've got it playing nicely in the background. It's really funny well oh okay yeah yeah i know because he's had a lot of christmas songs it's a wonderful time of the year most wonderful time of the year was used in home alone 2 in new york i know he went from there 
Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because you, you obviously have related to another couple of examples because I've got here overall his songs have been heard in over 100 TV shows and films. So I dare say we've only done the tip of the iceberg like I mentioned before. He was a great sports club. I don't know whether he still does, does this now, but he, had, he ran an actual an annual golf tournament and hosted Johnny Mathis Invitational track and field meets at uh, San Francisco State Uni. I'm not sure that that's still ongoing, but uh, he certainly did that for a fair amount of time. Now, some of his uh, awards, the Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, we awarded him the Lifetime Achievement Award, been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame for three different recordings, which were It's Not For Me To Say and Misty and Chances Are All In Separate Years, inducted into the Great American Songbook of Fame in 2014. I quote, honours performers and composers responsible for creating America's soundtrack. And he's also inducted into the Hit Parade Hall of Fame in 2007. So you can see his honours are many. The songs that he made will always be remembered by the people around that time before the British invasion actually occurred. I can just picture myself on a quiet Sunday afternoon sitting back having a quiet I don't know what I'll be having. I'll probably be having a lemon lime and bitters, George. <laughs> and, uh, listening, and listening to him. The singing that he does, he enunciates every word and you can understand everything he says. So I'm fairly biased towards Johnny Mathis. Not everybody's cup of tea but I've just labelled him here Mr Smooth and my first choice Josh is the 12th of Never Thank and here it is the 12th of Never by Johnny Mathers yeah very nice voice <laughs> great voice can see why he's so popular yeah yeah at the time they were the sort of songs that people related to before the actual invasion started but he stood the test of time with plenty of songs later on, which people would have gone out and bought because they had such a huge following. Now, the other songs that I've chosen were people who are familiar with Johnny Mathis would all know these songs. Wonderful, wonderful, Chances Are and Misty. Thanks, Josh. Okay. But again, you could make a, you could make a choice of about another seven or eight easily. I wouldn't be concerned. We'd be, we'd be quite happy for you to play those. Well, I'm not really sure of being on radio whether I should play Misty because like, bad things could happen when I do that. Well, all right. Well, you, 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 <laughs> no, no, I'll do, it. I'll do it, but it didn't really work out well for Clint Eastwood, did it? Perhaps I'll send you a text message while the song is on, Josh, which <laughs> may not be, which might be a bit spooky. Perhaps I could do that to you. Yeah, that? yeah, okay. But anyway, <laughs> I'll see what we can come up with. But uh, thanks, Steve, another great one, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, that'll be good, Josh. And we're just uh, drifting off the off the track, a beaten track a little bit with Johnny Mathis, but we we might go back. To, to a traditional 60s artist next week. So I look forward to catching up with you and the listeners next week. And everybody, as I always say, stay healthy. Yeah, stay safe and all the best. Thanks, mate. Take care. You've been listening to a 1FM podcast.